Let me say good morning um, again to those who are coming online um, and welcome to week four of our study on the book of Acts. So we are um, still in chapter one. Uh, we didn't really get that far uh, last week, but prayerfully this week we're um, able to get through chapter one. Chapter one is very lengthy. And so we're, we're just gonna kind of highlight um, some important points, highlight some things that we can, you know, talk about or discuss. But um, of course, if you, during your reading and during your prep time, if you have any questions um, about what you read or anything um, concerning last week's lesson or any lesson, um, you could definitely um, ask that at any moment. So I'm just going to open the floor right now. Um, are there any questions or concerns about this week's reading or last week's class or any any class that you may have a question about. No. All right. Just want to make sure I afford you all that opportunity. Um, and so we're going to just jump right into our lesson here. So let me go ahead and share my screen with you all. And remember that the PowerPoint uh, for today's lesson is in the Google Drive. Um, I put the link in um, the, on the family page and also I sent it via the email as well. So anytime you need access to the documents, you can do so. Um, so last week we kind of just talked about, um, we had a discussion about the triune God and how would you um, explain um, the triune God, and uh, we talked about is is Jesus God's peer peer, or how does Jesus rank himself? And we we talk we talk about that um, about how he um, uh, uh, came to came to the earth, and he thought it um, he thought it not robbery, or he thought it not uh, strange, or anything that he um, laid down his life and uh, submitted himself as a servant, but yet at the same time, he uh, remained um, in, in power and he kept his divinity and deity. Um, but being on earth, um, he had, uh, like we discussed, limited power and he depended on God and the Holy Spirit uh, to lead him through his mission on earth. And um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, the triune God gave you some scriptures on Colossians and Colossians chapter one and Philippians as well. So I pray that you were able to write those scriptures down. And so today we're going to um, truck, truck through this um, talk. We're going to finally get to the sovereignty of God, and the kingdom of God. Um, we're going to touch a little bit about the continuing reign and so suffering. So we're going to see how far we get in this class. And whatever we don't cover um, today in this class, definitely is your responsibility to read it. And if you have any questions, definitely bring them to the forefront so that we can cover them. Um, again, remember that um, this is a survey level, so we might not get into the deep, the deep things, but we will touch on um, a few topics mentioned here in this in this book here. Okay, this ain't deep. Oh my God, we ain't touching on the deeper things. Lord have mercy. Yeah, we 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 yeah, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. It, it goes deeper, but um, but yeah, <laughs> that's funny. All right, so we let me see where we stopped at here. Okay, so this is kind of, let me go back here because that's an incomplete thought. So let me go back here. We were talking about the sovereignty of God and we kind of talked, we answered that question about if God had peers and um, we said the psalmist rightly have said, um, the earth is the Lord and the fullness um, thereof, um, the world and those that, um, that dwell therein. And um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find my notes here. Okay. Um, and uh, we understand that at this moment here that David had um, limited revelation. He had a limited understanding of who God was. And um, he, um, at this point here, that um, 
when it comes to God's progressive revelation, that they didn't have an understanding of the triune God. Um, they didn't know anything about uh, Jesus. They didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And so um, this is why David kind of wrote this this particular psalm here. And so in the end, God is depicted as being the sovereign God, uh, which is explained in Revelation 6. As sovereign God, he has put his purpose and plan of salvation in place before the foundation of the world. Um, so could it be that Luke intends to tell the story of God's continuous plan of salvation through his people first and ultimately through his church? And the answer is yes. We see that in the book of um in the book of Revelation, I mean, not Revelation, in the book of um, Ephesians chapter one, how the plan of God, how he revealed it um, to Israel first, and then eventually, um, eventually um, it was released to the, the Gentile church or to, to the church. And so God had a plan of how um, things were going, going to happen. Okay. So let's hop here. Um, oh yeah, that's, this is the, yeah, this is the, what I was wanting to kind of talk about God's div divine order here. Um, uh, so he was reminding the Gentiles, um, that they were separated from, from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth and having no hope, uh, without God in the world. And, um, and so God, um, opened that door. So it was the time, it was the timing of God it was the sovereignty of God. It was God's providence that that door be open to the Gentiles. Um, and it says that he came and preached peace and who were far off to preach peace were near for though he, uh, we both had access in one spirit um, to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Okay. Um, and so, um, he's explaining to them um, their place now um, when it comes to being in the kingdom of God or being in God's family. Um, he's, Paul was explaining to them their, their place here. So let's go back here. So if this be the case, talking about if Luke um, attended to first tell Israel um, that, that God person intended to reveal it to Israel than to the church. He said, if that be the case, then a right interpretation of Acts required that the Bible student comes sensitive to at least God's divine order. So that's what we just read about in Ephesians 2. But there is, but is there any evidence that the direction in Luke and uh, direction in which Luke wants his readers to go and yes, in fact, there are four pieces of eternal evidence to consider. So in this particular section that we're about to hop into, we're going to talk about some key terms. We're going to talk about the prominence of Israel's history, the treatment of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the subsequent developments in the church. So all these things seem to be pointing towards a coherent and a deliberate scheme by the author, okay? Um, so let's jump to make sure I'm in the right place in my notes. Okay. Um, so yeah, we kind of talk about the place of the, the Gentiles. And so let's hop into the book here. Um, the beginning of, hold on here. So I'm all the way at the end of chapter one. Let's hop to the front. Okay, so let's go to, um, in chapter one, under the sovereignty of God. Let's, let's start right there. Um, let's see here. Okay, yep. Yeah. So although many often approach um, the book of Acts by focusing primarily on the human participants in the narrative, such as Peter and the apostles, Paul, Stephen, Cornelius, the focus in this book of Acts is actually on God. I think that's such a key statement right there that we um, highlight different themes and different topics in the book of Acts and what Acts is about. But generally, um, the main character, the main idea for the book of Acts is, is God. So don't make it just about Paul um, and his journeys. Don't make it just about Peter and how God had to correct him about um, the salvation being available to the, to the Gentiles. Don't just make it about that. Make it about 
about God, okay? And put them in their proper place, okay? So you don't want to just focus on the human vessel. You don't want to focus on the human, um, the, the characters. You, you don't want to um, have your thought distorted on uh, the book of Acts. You want to make sure that you are focusing on the, the divine author um, when it comes to the book of Acts, and that is the uh, that is God. Okay, and so um, so Luke is trying to communicate that um, during this time here that Jesus is still on the throne and that he still has rule and reign and we are still under the, the rulership of the risen Lord and he is still control of his church here. Okay, so let's go back to the book. It says that Luke is highlighting the sovereignty of God in history. Um, is indicated by his use of key terms as well as the way in which he describes God's involvement in the history of Israel. The events surrounding the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the subsequent developments um, in the history of the church um, that he is recounting. We will examine this broad theme of accomplishment of God's purposes first before focusing attention of the kingdom of God and the continuing reign of the Lord Jesus, okay? So in the next section here, when it talks about key terms, of course, when we look up key terms, if you're doing a Bible study, um, if you're studying a particular passage, you will use a lexicon to look up certain key terms. Um, you will use what we um, introduced to you all in Bible study methods. Um, you will go on Bible Hub. You will maybe use a concordance. You will use um, a Bible dictionary in order to understand a particular um, term in, in scripture here. So, so let's look at um, key terms. It says, as noted in the previous chapter, one of the uh, ways the book of Acts evidence a theological understanding of history with which God is in control and fulfilling his covenant promises is the prominence of terms indicated um, indicate divine sovereignty, okay? So the most prominent term in Acts that draws attention to divine necessity is D. Um, it is necessary. It means it is necessary. Um, it says this term occurs 40 times in Luke and Acts, um, which, almost, which is almost twice as uh, many times in all of 13 of Paul's letters and significantly more than anywhere else in the New Testament, okay? And so this word D, um, you'll see it, um, and it means it is necessary. We get a kind of a viewpoint on that when Jesus said he said, um, the author of the book of Matthew and the, in the, some of the gospels will say that Jesus had to go past, had to go through Samaria. When you look at the word, the word you see is D and it, and it means that it was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. It was necessary for Jesus to die. It was necessary for him to die on the cross. So this right here, um, this is God's divine pro uh, providence. It is his sovereignty. And you'll see this word uh, repeated uh, many times in, in the book of Acts here. Okay. So whenever the concept is used, um, the, this Greek word is indicating the sovereignty of God. Okay. Um, just like in our, in our lives, some things that God has planned for us that we had to go through. We had to experience it. And we have to understand that the things that we go through and the things that we experience has everything to do with God's sovereignty and has everything to do with God's providence as well. Okay. So um, when we jump into the next um, section, it says Israel's history. And it says the narrative summarized Israel history given in speeches of Stephen and Paul. Also draw attention to the view um, which Luke adopts in the summary of these speeches. Okay. So um, in the book of Acts in chapter seven and chapter 13, you'll get um, you get Paul's speeches and you'll get um, Stephen's speeches. And so um, these speeches here are very, very important. We, we were probably not taught to really look in depth on Stephen's speech and Paul's speeches, um, but they are very important because it shows 
the purpose in which Luke is trying to portray to his Greek audience here. And so Luke, uh, so with, with Stephen's speech, he starts out telling, well, uh, Stephen and Paul starts out uh, telling about the history of Israel, uh, talks about how um, everything is connected and it's connected um, at the end with, with Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's so important that, um, that um, the, um, the speakers, um, Stephen and, and Paul wanted for Israel to see the connection here, okay? He, wanted, he gave a, a chronicle account of, of what well, both of them gave a chronicle account of Israel's history and ended it, ended it with Jesus being a f- fulfillment of Israel's history. Okay. And so he, they, he wanted, they wanted for them to, to see that. And, um, and the crazy thing is um, when we look at uh, Paul's account and Stephen's account, they are very much almost very, it was identical but remember that Paul played a part in Stephen's um, murder. Um, and so, yeah. so ironic now that Paul is giving the same speech of the person that he helped to kill. <laughs> so, uh, so that's something to, to, really, um, to really look at as well. And so with, the, with um, Luke, he's making these speeches very prominent and um, and he's writing to, to let the people know that this is God's unfolding plan um, when dealing and, and dealing with um, Israel. OK, so when we look at um, the next section, it says God's sovereignty in Israel in history, Acts 7, it says in Stephen's speech, uh, Theos, God is mentioned 16 times. The term Karios Lord is also used twice with a reference to God. And God is the subject of action in the narrative. God appeared to, spoke to, gave promises to, and sent Abraham. He was with, rescued, and gave wisdom to Joseph. And so it goes on and on. He's building, he's, um, uh, uh, Stephen is building up his case. And he is uh, talking to um, the, 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 the people of Israel. He's addressing the religious leaders. He's, he's, addressing, he's addressing everybody. Um, and then on page, let's see here, on page 31, so after this long paragraph, it says that this pattern comes to the fore in Stephen's conclusion where he declares that his audience is following this, the pattern of those, their fathers who persecuted the prophets. So he was saying, you guys are acting just like the four, just like your forefathers who persecuted the prophets when they were trying to show you, trying to show you the way. And we just got done with the, uh, with survey of the uh, Old Testament. And we saw that um, anytime the prophets came to them with some type of word from the Lord, they were, they were murdered. They was, they were stoned. They were bored to death. They were cut up in pieces. And Stephen is telling, telling them, you guys are acting the same, you guys are acting the same way. Um, and um, he said that the, the people didn't do right by the prophets and the people are not going to do right by Jesus too. And so, um, and so uh, it says that in the next part, it says, even though their fathers killed um, those who predicted the coming of Jesus and Stephen's audience follow suit in portraying and murdering the righteous one. Still, the one predicted came just as God's messenger, the prophets had predicted. God's plan of salvation uh, was to overcome the stiff necks um, and uh, the disobedience and to bring the son into the world. So no matter how wild Israel got, God's plan was always still in play. Okay, and so um, and so uh, you see it in Stephen's speech. He's given he's given to um, Israel, um, and then we see in um, part thirteen in Acts thirteen. Um, this is when Paul was in Galatia, and he's given his speech to the Galatian churches. Remember that Galatia, Galatia is made up of several churches. So you got Derby, Lystria, Iconia, and Antioch of Pisidia. Those are the churches that make up the Galatian church. And so, um, and so he went there to begin to speak to them. And he gave kind of a similar speech of, of, of what Stephen did. Okay. 
Um, and so let's jump to, before we get to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, does anybody have any questions or comments concerning um, Stephen's speeches and Paul's speeches? Hey, Camille. Yep. Is that the, is that the same speech Paul gave and he got stoned? That's when they, you talking about in Acts, I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember the, the, the section we're talking about now, because I can't remember. Is this the section where right after that he got stoned as well and they left him for dead? This is when, yeah, this is when um, Paul, Paul, no, this is, no, no. This is when Paul and Barnabas was um, in Antioch and they got Oh, let me get my um, events in order here. Uh, okay, yeah. That's what I'm trying to, because I'm like, that's crazy that Stephen got stoned for the same speech. And that's why I was like, wait, I wonder if this is the same, but I can't remember. No, no, this is not it. This, this is ain't not that it. one. Okay. Because mm -hmm. no. yeah, remember the one I'm thinking about is when the apostles came and found him. That is, was it... Um, Oh, after he dealt with the Thessalonian church, I believe. Gotcha. Okay. Because they ran him out of town. They did. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and they stoned him on the outside. Sure did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was with the Thessalonian church. Yep. Okay. All right, cool. Um, any Anybody else have any questions or comments? All right, cool. So let's go ahead and hop into the next section here. Um, so when we're looking at Jesus' life, death, and, death and resurrection, um, and so these sermons include Jesus, and in the climax to the point of the sermon has always been about God and the continuity of the of, of, of God's purpose in His plan, and pointed to the um, the fulfillment, the fullness of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Okay. So when we're looking at, let's see here. Mm, okay, yep. Yeah. In the in the in the paragraph going down like the second sentence that says, this is seen in his description of God's involvement in all aspects of Jesus' ministry, his life, um, his uh, death and resurrection. Um, regarding Jesus' life, Peter's summary. Um, in Acts 2 and 22 is that God accredited Jesus to the people of Israel by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among them, okay? And so Peter talks about um, how the miracles and signs that Jesus did was for them to believe, okay? Um, it was strictly a Jewish situation, and it had purpose in which Jesus was doing the, the miracles. Of course, people benefited from the miracles and signs and wonders, but at the, the divine aspect of it, it was, it was for the Jews, for them to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, okay? Um, and um, when we go to, let me see here, make sure I'm jumping to the right place. Uh, okay, yep, in that, same, in that same paragraph, it says similarly, um, in Acts 10, um, Peter states that um, God is the uh, one who sent the word logos to Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Uh, furthermore, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and the power of G power, and Jesus went around doing good things, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So um, that's what... Um, what Peter Peter was talking about, and he kind of talked about that in his sermon to Cornelius as well. He gave kind of the same speech in um, with to Cornelius, who was a um, a, a God fearer. Okay, and um, so good Cornelius would have been familiar with the history of Israel. Okay, and so we always say like this is when Peter. Um, uh, preach to the first Gentile and not necessarily because we, uh, we understand that Cornelius was a God fear. So he, um, he associated himself with Judaism. And so he had, uh, familiarity, uh, with the practice of Judaism. Um, and so, and so that's very critical for, for us to understand here. Okay. Um, 
understand that point that um, that Cornelius was not just a regular Gentile pagan, but actually he was a he was a God fearer. Okay, um, so when we look at the death um, under the section there, it says regarding Jesus' death, Luke's gospel emphasized the accomplishment of God's purpose. Even if the wickedness and culpability of the of those involved in Jesus' death are also maintained, okay. So uh, to see the 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 human ex, the aspect um, or the providence of of um, of the plan of God, as far as um, in this statement here, he said the wickedness and the in the and the culpability. So it's it's not wrong to say that that the Jews killed Jesus or that the Romans killed Jesus, okay? Or God um, allowed Jesus to, to, be, to be killed. It's not, it's not wrong to say, it's showing God's sovereignty, it's showing God's plan, and it's showing his, his um, provident, the providential perspective, okay? His per, it's showing his per, uh, perfect will, it's showing his permissive will, and it's showing it from, um, from the human condition and situations that led up to um, God's plan being fulfilled, okay? Um, and, and the scripture says both of them were forced that the, the Jews um, uh, killed killed uh killed jesus or the romans killed jesus and that god allowed this to happen okay and scripture says it both with force okay um um so in this let's see here going let's see in the book the same paragraph it says predicted by jesus himself in keeping with predictions of scripture it is clear that that the Christ had to die. So there's that word again, that um, D, he had to suffer He uh, because um, everything written about him must be fulfilled, even the betrayal of Judas. Though deserving of judgment, described in terms the son of man is going as he had been decreed. So we see human um, interaction or human intervention um, that God allowed for, the, for his plan to take place, okay? So he had to experience these things because it was a part of God's sovereignty. It was a part of God's plan, okay? Um, and so um, and so we see in the book of John, uh, we see in, in chapter 10, verses 18, it says, no one has taken um, it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. So you see that Jesus saying, I laid down my life. But then you see in scripture that says that the Rome, you know, that the Romans played a part and things of that sort. And we see, and they're they're not contradictions at all. Okay. It's all part of God's plan. Okay. Um, it says, I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to take it back up again. And then in Romans chapter 8, verses 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life. And so um, God raised Jesus from the dead. Um, Jesus laid down his own life. So you'll see different ways of it being expressed, but it's, a not, it's not a contradiction. It is actually uh, part of God's sovereignty and his plan, okay? Any questions about that or comments? Okay, I just wanna make sure that you guys understood what I was saying there that it, you can say it either way and it doesn't contradict the idea of, of God's plan of salvation, okay? Um, so let's look at the other section here under resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. Um, it says a consistent feature of reference to Jesus' resurrection in Acts is the statement that God raised him from the dead. So that's what I was just talking about. Returning to the passage mission above, just as God is the subject accomplishing his purpose in summaries of Israel's history, so he is the subject of accomplishing his purpose in the summaries of Jesus' history. So in Acts 2, following a reference to God's accreditation to Jesus, his accomplishment of miracles through Jesus and the outworkings of the predetermined plan of death of Jesus, Peter states that God is also the one who raised him from the dead. And so, so there are some scripture references. So definitely look up those scripture references so that you guys, so that you will have an understanding 
of, um, of how God raised him from the dead and the things of that sort and how that played a part of God's sovereignty and in his plan. And so, um, and so, yeah, definitely um, look, look that up there. So when we're looking at how Luke is writing the book of Acts, he's being very deliberate, um, deliberate. Um, so we must um, understand uh, and really take note on Luke's uh, approach when, it's, when, he, when he's writing this book here. So he is showing God's sovereignty. He's going, he's showing God's omniscience, um, his, his, his power, his, um, and his rule and his reign, even throughout Jesus, um, Jesus life, Jesus ministry, his death, his resurrection. And even after he ascended, God is still in control. Okay. His plan is still being in motion. Okay. And so when we look at the subsequent developments in, in the church, um, in the book, it says in Acts, Luke is, of course, writing an account that is subsequent to the events in the history of Israel. Uh, Tracy, go ahead before I jump into my point. I also like the fact that this author focuses a lot on the fact that the rejection and opposition to the prophets of old and even to Jesus's ministry did not stop God from moving forward with his plan that right. was powerful to me i i thought so too i did too because we think like okay that's gonna stop his plan no actually that was a part <laughs> that was a part of his plan so yeah that's that, that that's a very powerful um part that the author wrote yep i totally agree anybody else i, I like that I like when the writer also, uh, as uh, Elder Tracy was saying, also looking at as a, uh, as, as a as a disciple, even in this age as the, uh, I don't want to go too deep, so let me move from that, uh, how we as disciples, it is God's purpose and plan and our continuation to walk going through opposition and trials and tribulation that we too will suffer. And, and so when we come into these places of suffering, count it all joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. I love that point as well. Um, go ahead, Toya. Did you have something? Yeah, I do have a question just kind of stemming off of um when we say that God raised Jesus from the dead, um, or when the scriptures say that God raised Jesus from the dead, um, I'm just trying to make sure I have a clear understanding. Is it safe to say that he raised himself? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's what I was trying to communicate. It's okay to say that God, because it says it in scripture. So uh, it says that God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus raised himself. He said in three days, uh, I, you know, he was, uh, when he was talking about destroy this temple and in three days, I'm gonna raise it up. Um, and so, yeah, so Jesus himself raised himself from the dead. And then you'll see in scripture that the Holy spirit had a part as well. Um, and so, um, last, last week we kind of talked about the, the triune God and that one of the rules when we, when we really, one day we'll really study about, uh, the Holy spirit is that um, one of the rules of the, of the Trinity is that if you see one Godhead present, assume all three are present. And so, um, so if you see um, God saying that he raised Jesus from the dead, oh, assume that the Holy Spirit did too. Oh, assume that Jesus raised himself from the dead. And then there's scriptures to back that up. You see it in creation, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you see in John, in the book of John, that Jesus had a part of creation. And then you'll see, um, and also in Genesis, that the Holy Spirit played a part as well. So yes, it is okay to say that Jesus raised himself from the dead. Yep, yep. Anybody else? Um, yeah, just to add to that, it is a scripture also that said, that Jesus said, if I lay down my life, I'll take it back again. So. Right. Right. So that shows uh, Jesus played a part um, in his in his life and his um, death and his resurrection right there. Yep. Thank you for that one. Um, anybody else? I just want this lesson go make me have a headache because I don't quicken 18 times. 
And, uh, <laughs> over now. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> you are still today. <laughs> but this is this is a a great lesson. I love all of this. Um, I preached a literally a message years ago, and I it was called "Who Killed Jesus." Mm-hmm. And literally, I dealt with the Jews, the Romans, and even Judas's betrayal, you know, but ultimately going back to all these scriptures on how Jesus would say, destroy this temple, and I will write, and all this stuff we're saying. And so I'm just like, wow, I didn't realize the nature of which God had re- uh, illuminated to me what was happening. Even then, I didn't, you know what I mean? But I knew what the Lord was trying to convey. So this is an extremely well-taught lesson i know everybody like to do that at the end but this is an extremely well-taught lesson to remind us elder camille that we really have a concept of this stuff we just don't understand what we have a concept of Mm because everybody quoting the scriptures is right there in our face (laughs) but we we just and that's why sometimes i'll call you and say i'm missing a small connector that will change the trajectory of what i'm trying to get an understanding of and is so this is a an extremely well put together lesson so amen well bless be the lord yep um Eva, did you have something else or are you still- yeah, yeah i just wanted to tag on uh because it, uh, as did um my heart was stirred you know the lord said i and the father are one mm-hmm. and in that you know i was getting ready to pass by until i got arrested just only to say this we have to be very careful that uh as i and the father are one and and the holy spirit you know the triune god that we keep the uh uh we that we we see it from the functionality of who's doing what at what time mm-hmm. that bears a lot of importance of what's going on and who is one in that role of doing that thing yes definitely there because they are the same in essence but they differ in function yes so they do have everybody yeah, yeah so that's something to also keep in mind when looking at uh the triune or um, the Godhead, um, the various Godheads, um, that they, they're the same in essence, but they differ in function. And so we see that throughout scripture, but to also to see that even going deeper, that you will see that they all three had play a part in some way um, in everything. And so, yeah, so definitely remember that they vary in function. Thank you for that one. Um, and so let's continue here. Where did I stop at? I don't remember. (laughs) Let's see. I think I was going to subsequent developments, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it has to be, I think. We're going to start right there because I don't remember. Um, um, It says in Acts, Luke is, of course, writing an account um, that is subsequent to the events in the history of Israel and the events surrounding the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so right here, Luke um, wants to point out a pattern and he wants us to see the continuity. So the Old Testament history and then the life of Jesus, and then the church, okay? So he's showing that it continues with the church, which brings Israel and the Gentiles together, okay? So this is all a part of God's sovereignty, okay? Um, Going back to the book, it says here too, however, Luke aims to show that God is continuing to accomplish his purpose in addition to language or fulfillment that is pervasive throughout Acts 20, uh, I mean, sorry, throughout Acts, Um, and the specific intervention of angels and the Holy Spirit to direct and spread the gospel. There are emphasis in God's action in moving the events of the narrative along. Perhaps the most prominent aspect of God's action in Acts involves the inclusion of the Gentiles, okay? So the book of Acts is layered, layered upon layered of themes, um, and we must put them in its proper perspective, okay? Uh, so we must not lose sight of the theological framework of God's continuing plan of salvation. Okay. Um, and so, so yeah, that's um, what I wanted to kind of communicate there with the subsequent 
uh, developments. And of course, uh, we kind of talked about the conversion of Cornelius and his household. So definitely look, look that up there. Um, so I want to jump to the section on the kingdom of God. Um, so we're going to start the new section there. So any questions about the sovereignty or any other comments about God's sovereignty? All right. Yeah, I wanted to say something real quick. I'm sorry. Yeah, you so go. I'm happy that um, you guys brought up because you were saying how the Holy Spirit played a part in this and this, that, or whatever. And it just, it didn't click to me, but I didn't want to ask because I was like, maybe I'm missing something because we know that God, that God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one, mm-hmm. but how did they differ? So when um, Eva said that they differ in function, mm-hmm. something kind of clicked. And it just explains to me how complex God is. It's like, you know, it's, it's just so interesting. So I'm happy you guys went over that. Yes, the complexity. Yeah, you're right. It is very complex. So, yep, for that right there. Thank you for that. I was, and, it, and it's interesting that she would say that because I was talking to the Lord this morning and he literally, because I, I can't remember, I was talking to him just about me, just being personal with him about me, where I am and feelings and stuff. And literally, I said something, I can't remember exactly what I said, but his response to me was, y'all really think y'all got me figured out? And I was just like, oh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And, and then today, here she comes about this complexities of God and how he's like, we really think we just got him just totally figured out yo and he's there's so the moment we think we understand him totally he can reveal himself even more and it's like oh there is more there is more so yeah yeah, sharing that's serious and yeah (laughs) yes there is more yes there is more to to god than what we think just remember that god is given just a piece of himself in in this written form just a small piece and that we won't really know or see the fullness of God until we are are with him when we put on the incorruptible. And so we are just seeing like probably just this minute piece of who God is. And it's very complex and it's very interesting. And yeah, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. So definitely, definitely. All right, cool. Any anybody else? All right, cool beans. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the kingdom of God. Um, So what exactly is meant in scripture by the concept kingdom of God? Of course, at some point it becomes appropriate to ask, what did Jesus mean when he spoke about the kingdom of God? Altogether different may be the question, what did his audience have in mind? when they question him about the kingdom of God. So what we do know is that the kingdom of God tends to take on uh, more than one meaning as it appears in scripture, okay? And so, um, and so yeah, just like uh, in this point here that the kingdom of God means several different things depending on the context um, and what you're, what you're looking at here. So the idea, we get the idea of kingdom um, from the very beginning of time. And we see um, the scriptures in Genesis talk about um, the first kingdom, and that was with Nimrod. Nimrod started his first kingdom, so we kind of get an idea of kingdom. And yet people may ask, so what, where did he get this idea of kingdom? Where did, uh, he was part, he wasn't part of um, the promised people, where did, where did um, these other nations get the idea of kingdom? Because kingdoms have existed, the idea of kingdom existed before the other nations. So where did they get this idea from? And so I'm going to pose you this question because we talked about it before. Where did they get this idea of kingdom? If, if God is now kind of introducing it to, to Israel, but the idea existed years ago, eons ago. I want to see. Is this the whole concept of, 
I think is uh, is this is this the whole concept of Romans one when God was revealing Himself to everybody? Yes, yes. So they got it from somewhere, and they got it from God. But what happened when God started to reveal Himself to the people? They they rejected it. They rejected it. They twisted it. They thwarted it. And they begin to worship each other. They begin to worship creation. And so you'll see um, in various ancient Near Eastern religions, you'll see them have the same concept. Um, and they got it from, from God, but they twisted it and made it their own. And so we see um, kind of that concept of kingdom um, existing um, in scripture and existing uh, even before the people of Israel. Um, and so the kingdom, um, when we look in, in Genesis, the kingdom intended to be earthly and intended to, to be, uh, to be, uh, human, to, uh, have humans, uh, a part of it. And so God placed us on earth to be co-regents or co-rulers here on earth to have rule and reign. It says it in Genesis, um, that, um, that he wanted Adam to have dominion on earth. And so there was the goal for, for us, for humans to have dominion in this kingdom, which was the garden was the, you know, part of the kingdom, uh, to have rule, reign and dominion. Um, and so, um, and so, but we see that a lot of the, the plan of God we see in place as far as Israel's history, everything, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, everything is going to lead us back to Genesis at the end of time, okay? Uh, when, when Jesus um, comes back on earth to rule and reign, we're going to see the fulfillment of Genesis. We're going to see us going back to Genesis and that we will be on earth um, having rule, reign, and uh, in a, an authority, uh, rule, rule, reign, and dominion on earth uh, in ruling with Jesus. Okay, um, and so, um, and so the book, you know, the Bible teaches that one day the earth, the earth is going to end. We're going to get a new earth, and that Jesus Christ is going to be crowned King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. And so, um, so Israel, they have a uh, familiarity with, with kingdom, okay? And so let's go into the book. Um, yeah, let's go into the book under the kingdom of God and the sovereignty of God. Let's jump right there. It says, there is a sense in which um, the phrase kingdom of God refers to God's universal sovereignty, Okay. That what it, that's what it means um, when we talk about sovereignty, that God has rule and reign and dominion over everyone, the saved and the unsaved. He still has all power and he's still in control. OK, so um, let's see here. Going back to the book, it says God always rules over his creation. He is the sovereign king over all he has made in his kingdom's rules overall, uh, kingdom rules overall, in the sense, given that all are under God's sovereign rule, all are in God's kingdom. So God is still Lord to the saved and to the unsaved in a universal way, even though they may not acknowledge him as Lord, but he is still Lord over them. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Let's jump down to the arrival of the kingdom. So when talking about the topic of, of, of kingdom is layered. And like I said, it can mean many things. And so they're all kind of related to the universal uh, kingdom. And so uh, let's go into the book here. Uh, let's go to. Hmm. OK, let's start with the first. Let's start the top of the paragraph, the arrival of the kingdom on page 39. So I hope you guys are with me. And it says the kingdom of God um, is of course a major aspect of Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel as it is in each of the synoptic gospel. The statement in which summarizes Jesus' ministry in um, Luke 4, 43 and all the um, chapters, it says, um, indicates that preaching the kingdom of God epitomizes Jesus' ministry. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God is best understood along the lines of inaugurated eschatology. 
um, or in the words of uh, George Ladd, the fulfill fulfillment without consummation. That is the both an already and a not yet aspect of the kingdom. So when Jesus used the term, um, when Jesus uses the term kingdom, he is talking about it in an inaugural um, aspect. So when we look at, um, let me pull up this chart here. Um, pull up this chart here that um, I've been saying that uh, Israel thought that they were um, in the last days that they were right here, but technically um, they were like up over in this area here uh, on the timeline. And so Jesus, um, he began to introduce or began to uh, speak about the kingdom of God. He was telling them, he was telling Israel that you don't have to wait until you get a, into a particular place to live in the kingdom. You can live in the kingdom right now by allowing God to have rule, reign, and dominion over, over your life, okay? Um, and so um, that this is what Jesus was, um, was teaching them, how to live under the rulership of God. And, um, and so every day our life will be consumed on how to live um, under the, the rulership of God and the expectations of when we get into the consummated kingdom, the expect, expectations of, of rulership there as well. And so um, still living under the, the rule, reign, and demand of God is not reserved just for one day of the week. So you don't just decide like, okay, on Sunday, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to uh, live under God's rule, reign, and dominion for these few hours. And then after church, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, you're, when you decided to become a disciple um, of Jesus Christ, you are saying that God has rule, reign, and dominion 24-7, and um, that you are allowing God to teach you how to live um, under his rulership, under his dominion, okay? Um, and so the, when we look at the um, inaugural kingdom, um, there are some events that occur that kind of gives us um, a hint on, um, on, the, uh, on Jesus introducing the kingdom. So let me go to, here it is. So the inaugural kingdom has several benchmarks. Um, the birth of Jesus Christ introduced the kingdom. His earthly ministry introduced the kingdom, the death, burial, resurrection, the ascension, and the day of Pentecost. These are benchmarks. These are events um, that really show, show us how Jesus was ushering in the kingdom of God. Okay. Um, any, any questions about that? Any comments about that? Um, I have um comments. This is sure. a really good, this really good teacher. My mama in the background, like, yes, <laughs> this is really good teaching. So uh, that's all I uh, wanted to say. And I love how you explain about what the kingdom is. It's not, you know what I mean? How you yeah. said that he was telling them like, you could be in the kingdom now, you know, just allowing God to completely reign over your life daily because he owns us anyway. You know what I mean? To be honest with you, he owns us. So that's mm -hmm. really good. That's sure. really good. Good, good, good. So, um, so yes, um, this is what Jesus was trying to communicate that you have the ability to live under his rule, reign and dominion right now. So definitely. Um, so let's see here for the time, we got a little bit of time. So I'm going to jump, I'm going to do a huge jump um, into the continuing reign of the Lord Jesus, that, that section there. Um, let's see here. It says that the author um, comes right out and tells his readers that he plans to approach Acts as an account of the continuing story of God's saving purposes. The real question is this, is there a literal, uh, literal literary evidence um, that Luke wrote his two-volume letter with this purpose in mind? Um, um, the author contends that Luke intends his work to be read in the light of Old Testament, or you could say Old Covenant, Old Covenant promises in the continued reign of Christ. Axis Bex understood, therefore, in this biblical theological framework that highlights the move from the Old Testament or Old Covenant to what the kingdom of God looks like now, 
Christ has come, died, risen, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then um, you'll see um, in this section here with the continuing reign, you'll, you'll read about the ascended Lord reigns from heaven, the reigning of the Lord pours, he pours the Holy Spirit, and then the reigning uh, Lord adds to the church. Okay, so definitely um, read on that section if you have not. This is a long chapter. So definitely um, read, read um, on those sections there. And then we get to um, what we've been talking about. I think from the first or second week, we talked about suffering, the suffering, um, the fullness uh, of the kingdom has yet to come. So we explored in previous classes, determining the purpose of acts is no easy task. And there is no necessary agreement or unity among even modern scholars, except to say that there are several purposes. Well, in this study is no different. The author believes that the internal evidence, number one, Luke stated the purpose in the preface to volume one, the language and writing style as biblical narrative and loose explicit links to the Old Testament. And so uh, we see that Jesus emphasizes on suffering, Paul emphasizes on suffering. And, um, and so God uses suffering um, as, as a tool, okay? So um, in this section, let me see, there's one, sec one thing I wanted to read. So let me make sure I go to it in the book. I didn't mark it, let's see here. Um, it is on page 55, I believe. I know it's 55 in my electronic books. So it might be 54, 55. Um, it's in the paragraph that says, as Paul's house correctly observed. And that paragraph, keep going down. There's a sentence that says, this reference to the kingdom of God um, here clearly has a future orientation. It has yet to be entered and there must or there's that word D, uh, D uh, be suffered forehand. The Lord reigns and um, is accomplishing his saving purpose, yet his reign remains co um, contested. The fullness of the kingdom is still not yet. The accomplishment of God's saving purposes in this not yet period of the kingdom it therefore helps to explain why suffering is uh, intimately related to two of the dominant themes of Acts, the spread of the word and the establishment and strengthening of the local churches, okay? So that's how the gospel is being, being spread. That's how the, the kingdom um, is being spread through the, the preached gospel and also the establishment and strengthening of local churches. And so then it talks about, in, in the next sections here, it talks about um, the suffering and what they went through of spreading the gospel. And it talks about the um, suffering, the spread of Jeru uh, spread of the gospel in Jerusalem and beyond, and then suffering in Peter's mi ministry and Paul's ministry, okay? So definitely, if you haven't got a chance to read those sections, um, definitely um, read those sections there. So I know I kind of sped through the last section there, but there are some really, really good points um, in this in this um, first chapter. And definitely don't just not read it. Definitely go through it, highlight. And, in, and if next week you have questions, don't be afraid to ask your questions. Ask your questions. So someone else might be having the same question, but didn't bring it up. So um, are there any questions or comments um, concerning the, the continuation of of the Lord Jesus Christ and the suffering aspect or anything in general. All righty then. So that is chapter one. Um, next week, we're gonna look in chapter two um, and we're going to, of course, do the same thing, kind of highlight some, um, some uh, ideas or highlight some themes and highlight some important points in chapter uh, two and, and talk about. So definitely come prepared with any questions or comments you may have. Um, so if there aren't any questions or comments, I'll go ahead and pray out. Um, Father God, we thank you for this day. Thank you, oh God, for allowing us to come together and to understand your word, Father. We thank you um, for um, the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus to Christ. And we thank you for just the Trinity, the, 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 um, the Godhead. We thank you, oh God, that um, in your Trinity, God, that, um, you, that um, 
is the same in essence, but it varies in function. And we see we see that throughout Scripture, we see um, we see how uh, God at some points you are the main idea, the main point, and Jesus is the main point, and then the Holy Spirit is the main point. But God, we thank you that you all that um, that you all are the same, and that once if if one is present, then all are present. And so we thank you for that, Father. So we thank you, oh God, for being present within us, Father. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is present within us, so are, so are you, God, and so is Jesus is present with us, Father. And we thank you for that, oh God. And we thank you, oh God, for just allowing us to study your word and to understand your word and to still mow and still dig in this word, Father, uh, for, um, for when we get to the place where we think we got to figure it out. Of course, there is still more to learn, Father. So allow us to still stay in a posture of being a student of your word. Uh, we are we are not um, experts, God, but we are constantly studying. We're constantly learning more about you, God. So we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy in this, Father. So God, we give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So I uh, thank you all for coming and I'll see you all next week. The class, Elder. Thank you.